Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, the title of my message this morning is, check this out, Objects in the Mirror Are Closer Than They Appear. Now, to some of you, you're going, that's a strange title. That's a funny title. I mean, dude, seriously, you might be thinking, uh, Pastor, what does this have to do with Jesus? There wasn't any cars back in the day. I mean, donkeys, maybe. They walked all over the place. What does this have to do with objects in the mirror, right? There were no cars back in Jesus' day. And I thought, really? Well, listen to this. Most people assume that WWJD is what would Jesus do, when actually it stands for what would Jesus drive. One theory is that Jesus would tool around with an old Plymouth because the Bible says, quote, God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden in a fury. Do you remember the Plymouth fury? But, but hold on, in Psalm 83, the Almighty clearly owns a Pontiac and a Geo. The passage urges us to pursue your enemies with the tempest and terrify them with your own storm, right? So you've got to, anyway, you're just looking at this. But let me say this, let me say this. Some scholars insist that Jesus drove a Honda, but he didn't like to talk about it. You go, why? Well, they cite the verse in John's gospel where Christ tells the crowd, for I did not speak of my own accord. Thus, following their master's lead, the apostles carpooled because the apostles were also in one accord. Now, of course, I'm jesting and joking about Jesus driving a car. But what actually happened is I was in California this week at a pastor's conference. And as we were in the rental car and we were driving to the conference, I was thinking about the message. I was thinking about, you know, what what's going on in, in, in the storyline and... And I was sitting on the passenger side of the car and actually looked in the mirror, and, and I noticed this. And, and of course, we, we have them all in our cars. Objects in the mirror, right, are closer than they appear. That's what it, and I'm, I'm like, what is it? What are they trying to say? So I started thinking about it, and, and that phrase got me thinking. I said, what does it actually mean? So I came back here, I got on my computer, and I looked it up. Check this out. That phrase, okay, that phrase on your car, which you probably never noticed, okay, once in a while you're just like, okay, right? Listen, listen. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear is a safety warning that is required to be engraved on the passenger side mirrors of motor vehicles here in the USA, Canada, and India. It is present, it, it, it's present because while these mirrors' convexity gives them a field of view, it also makes objects seem farther than what they really are. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, what is convexity? What does that mean, convexity? Well, here's what it is. It means that the mirror's curve have only certain angles which allow the object to seem closer but not in reality. You go, okay. What does that mean? Well, I was thinking about this, okay? Listen, guys, it's a matter of perspective, you see, on the driver's side mirror, there's not a whole lot of convexity, right? There's not. What you see is what you get. If the car's right here, you can see that. If you look over to the right, you might perceive something that's actually farther than it really is or closer than it really is. And so that phrase got me thinking, okay? The Jewish authorities that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, 
the Jewish authorities are very upset. They're really upset. Why? Well, remember what happened. Jesus comes to the, to the bull of Bethesda. There's sick people everywhere. He goes to a man with his grace and mercy and compassion, and he heals this man. He'd been sick for 38 years, and I want you to think about that for just a moment. 38 years this man has been sick. And you go, Ben, what's the significance of 38? I don't know. It's two less than 40. You know, I mean, I just, he was sick. He was sick a long, long time. Well, here's the problem. The Jewish authorities catch wind of this. They see a man walking on the Sabbath with his bed, right? Alarms go off everywhere in their minds. And he's just there like, whoa, 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 whoa. You did what? Right? Because picking up his bed on the, on the Sabbath is against the law. And they became even more furious when they questioned Jesus. Because Jesus does something very interesting, guys. He claimed in this dialogue with the Jewish authorities that he was equal with God. Right? And, and so here's my thought. Okay, here's my thought. The religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, all the Jewish authorities that are so upset, I'm thinking, guys, think about it, man. They should have known, they should have known that Jesus was coming. They should have been waiting for him. They should have been excited to see a man walking with his bed on the Sabbath. And you go, what do you mean? Well, like, like objects in the mirror? are closer, but you think they're farther? That's how the Jewish authorities, they're, they're going, listen, Jesus, oh, I don't know, I don't know. They might, he might be, I don't know if he's coming. I don't know what's going on. And they should have recognized that Jesus was God in human form. You go, how so? Well, they would have understood the Old Testament so much more than we do. Example, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, though you were little among the thousands of Judah... Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel who's goings forth from the old and from everlasting. You see, they should have said, whoa, wait a minute. What's that saying? That's saying that Jesus, right, the Meshach, the anointed one, would be born in Bethlehem. They should have been looking. You go, well, Ben, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's right, but they missed it. They missed it. They, they're, they're sitting here upset about this man carrying a bed and that it's the Sabbath and they're breaking the law, but they should have been focused on, oh, wait, wait a minute. And you go, well, give me another one. Well, Psalm 103, 2 through 5 says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What's that? Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Ding, 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 right? who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. They should have known Psalm 103 and said, look at this, he just healed. Could it it be? Could it be? Wow, what if what if it is, right? Because Jesus has been coming and he has been healing. His, His first... Recorded miracle, turning water into wine. You know that got around, right? Now, they didn't have Facebook or Snapchat or anything, but it got around pretty fast. Jesus, You know, I mean, it just went through. And, of course, you know all the different miracles. They should have known this. But instead, guess what they're doing, guys? They're fuming at the fact that Jesus, this Jesus, is breaking the law. He's breaking the law. He's telling somebody to break the law. He's healing on the Sabbath. And now, which makes them steam even, even more, he's claiming to be equal with God. 
You see, they never once looked to the right side of the rearview mirror and said, could this be the promised Messiah? You see, he's, he's loving people back to life. He's healing people. He's showing compassion on those who need it the most. And I'm thinking, you see, God the Father, right, is through Jesus closer to the people than they wanted to believe. You see, maybe they were thinking, well, God would come as a reigning king and he would conquer Rome because Rome was oppressing them. He would set up his rule and his reign forever in Jerusalem, but not this guy, not this guy walking around healing, but they should have known the scriptures. And I'm thinking, you see, Jesus was closer than they understood him to be. But here's what I want to remind you of. One thing we need to remember, church, as we go through our study, okay, and it's easy to do, the one thing we we need to remember is that God invites everyone to the party. You go, what? Here's what we tend to do, right? Because we're all human. We tend to look at a passage like this, and then we tend to get angry at the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Sanhedrin or the Jewish authorities, and then it becomes us versus them. And we're just like, oh, I just, oh, I just, if I could just be there, I would punch those guys in the face. Oh, and I can't, and I'm going, no, no, no. See, we got to remember. We got to remember. We must have the right heart and perspective. We must have the heart. What is Jesus saying? You go, what do you mean? Well, here's what I'm thinking. If we're going to look at the heart of Jesus, guys, he loved all people. And he really wanted to see the religious leaders see who he really was. You and I, we, we kind of draw a line in the sand, and it's us versus them. And Jesus is going, listen, here's, what, here's the heart of Christ, right? He, at times, will get angry with their laws. He'll get angry with their attitudes. But, but rest assured, he loves them. You know, well, how does that apply to me, Pastor? Well, think about it, guys. There's a lot of people who are super religious. And when they look at you who have a relationship with Christ, now you've got two people that are doing this. Okay, kind of, kind of rubbing each other the wrong way. And instead of going, no, no, I see Jesus loves the religious person. And he invites everyone into the party. Do you guys remember, do you guys remember the prodigal son and the older brother? Do you remember he comes out and he says, son, why are you not in the party? And my son is there inside. We're having a great time. And he's standing out there with his arms crossed going, you can't never do that. And he, pure dialogue. And, and the whole point was this, the, the father came out and he said, come on in. Come on in. And we have to understand it this way. You see, Jesus, guys, loves us all. And like a father who disciplines the ones who are most likely to benefit from it, God gives what we need most Those who are fortunate to see Jesus and receive his chastisements are blessed. Now, listen, have you ever had to spank your kids? You ever had to, you know, this is going to hurt me more than, of course, they don't understand that. They're like, "Mm -mm. mm-mm, mm-mm, right? We know that, right? And it does hurt us, right? But here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Guys, think about it. Think about it. They're really blessed, Because you love them enough to say, no, 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 this could hurt you even more. You don't see this, I do. When it comes to God, we're like, God, please don't, don't spank, don't spank, don't spank me, God, I'm I'm okay. And yet he wants to protect us. And I'm sure when it came to the religious people as well as us guys, 
I'm sure his message came with the authority from the, th- from the throne, and they felt it. They felt it. And that's where we pick up our story today. If you remember last week, the Jews freaked out about a man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda. They just, they lost it, okay? So what do they do? They immediately come and they confront the man. Look at verse 10 real quick. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now listen, if these are the dudes that are like between me and God. And the first thing they ask me is why am I breaking the law? And I had been sick for 38 years and now I'm dancing I'm walking and I'm having a whoo, right? I would hope that they would have been like, and the Jews said, wow, you're healed. That's amazing. High five. Now, who told? No, 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 no. They, even, they don't even think about him healed. They come and they say, you know, it's the Sabbath. Of course he knows it's the Sabbath. And so they confront him and they have this conversation he doesn't know it's Jesus. Later on, goes up to the temple, finds Jesus. Jesus says, okay, now, listen, go your way. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Well, the first thing he does is he finds the Jews and says, it was Jesus who healed me. So guess what they do? They go and confront Jesus, right? And, and they come to him and they say, like, what are you doing? What's going on? And Jesus tells them in, in, in 17 and 18, he says, but Jesus answered, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Why? Because not only, he not only broke the Sabbath, but he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So that's what's going on. That's all of this. He's, he's, Jesus just went up to the feast. He's trying to just... And he does something, and now all of a sudden he's got, he's got problems. He's got problems. Well, here's what I want you to know. Jesus will lovingly spend the next 28 verses reasoning with the Jew about who he is. The next 28 verses. Jesus had every right to turn around and go, eh, pff, you guys don't get it. You're missing me, man. You may listen. No, 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 Jesus lovingly, and he's going to spend 28 verses. Now think about this, okay? The people, the Jewish authorities, wanted to kill him. They wanted him dead. That's harsh. Why? Now listen, why would you want to kill somebody who's walking around healing people and loving people? And I mean, you know, your, your sick mother-in-law comes back to life. And, and I mean, Jesus is doing all of this stuff, right? I mean, this is, but no, they want to kill him. Why? They realize that he's making himself out to be equal with God, and they considered it blasphemy. Jesus was closer, but as they look into the mirror of religion, they, they think he hadn't even come yet. And so Jesus responds, guys. He responds with, he, to their feelings, and he responds to their criticisms. How? He says he makes it clear, guys, in this section that where he gets his authority from, why they can know he is equal to God, and then he's going to give them, he's going to tell them who else testifies that he's equal to God. He's going to come in and he says, these are the people who testify. You go, what's he saying? Well, basically, he's telling them not to just take his word for it, but to look at the source, to look at what he's doing and to look at the testimony of others. Then they should know how clearly that he's speaking the truth and really that this truth is from God and that he's equal to God. That's all he's going to do, okay? But I want, to, I want you to see the loving words behind this, okay? And then I want us to apply them. Jesus is going to explain his relationship to the Father. So, 
Let's, Jesus is going to make it clear where he gets his authority from. That's where we pick it up in verse 19. Verse 19 of chapter 5 is where we'll start today. It says, then Jesus answered and said to them, okay, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So again, here's this dialogue. You got a picture of the scene. Jesus and the disciples are sitting there, and now he's going to just share his heart. He's going to share his heart, right? How you receive it is going to depend on which mirror you're looking at. You go, what, what do we see? Well, there's three major points that Jesus is going to pull out, even in just these two verses. You go, what's the first thing? He says this, the son can do nothing of himself, first and foremost, okay? Jesus explained that he, as God the son, does nothing independently, okay? He, he was and is fully submitted to the father's will. This submission comes by choice, not by corrosion, by an inferior nature. So the first thing he says is, listen, I want to teach you that I am submitting to the Father. You go, Ben, I thought Jesus was fully God. He is. But remember, he says, I'm going to, I can't do anything unless, well, what did it say? He says, I can do nothing of myself. Pastor, does that mean that Jesus was a smaller God or a less great? No, no, no. He's simply coming. And Philippians says that he laid down his will and he wanted to be submissive to the Father. You go, wow, that's cool. What's the second thing? Well, he says, whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. Jesus explained that his work was a perfect reflection of the work and the will of the Father. Jesus showed us exactly what the work was and the will of God is. So he says, listen, I'm just reflecting. What? I'm just reflecting the what? Now, here's the thing, guys. Jot this down. Over in Colossians, it says, if you want to know God, study Jesus. Study Jesus. Because Jesus is a direct reflection of who God is. Jesus doesn't walk on water. Jesus doesn't, unless it's in the will of the Father. He's in tune. And so for us, guys, to grasp that, you go, man, I want to know, I want to know what God is like. Study Jesus. Find out what he's like. All of this. And you're going, oh, cool. Okay, okay. And then the third thing he pulls out, guys, is he says, the father loves the son. And what he's trying to pull out, he says, the relationship between the first and second member of the Trinity is not one of master-slave, not one of employer-employee, he says, but it's one of the Father and Son united in love. United in love. And you're going, oh, wait a minute. You see, he could have said, well, you know what? Listen, this, this blows holes in a lot of religious theories that come in and go, well, Jesus was a smaller God. Because he's going, no, 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 we're one, and we're one by love, not by master, slave, employer, employee. We're one by love. We're one by love. And then he goes on in verse 21. He says, for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son, everybody see that verse 22, very important verse, good verse to underline. You go, why? 
Because here's the thing, for the father judges no one, he has committed all judgment to the son. Why is it important to be born again? Because if Jesus has all the judgment, then I want to be found in Christ. He's not going to judge himself. Oh, look at that. I'm a, I got Jesus in me. I got Jesus in me. Verse 23, that all should honor the son as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent them. Okay? Here's what he's saying. Now, remember, the religious leaders are probably just fumed. They already want to kill him. And the father has the power, he says, to raise the dead and give eternal life. Now, they would agree with that. Amen. But Jesus says, so do I. What? Remember, here's what Jesus is showing. He's showing, guys, he's showing the people that he is equal to God. So the fact that he raises people from the dead and raises people from the dead himself shows that he's equal with God, right? Do you guys remember? You guys remember Lazarus, right? Raised him from the dead. Why do you think he did that, right? Well, he loved Lazarus. Well, of course he was his friend, but here was the point, right? He's going to raise his buddy Lazarus from the dead because he's going to show the people around him that he is equal with God. Why? Because Lazarus eventually went and died again, didn't he? And so you go, okay, but what else? Well, Hence the resurrection. Hence why we get so excited right around Easter time. Why? Because, because we are saved by the what? By the death, burial, and resurrection. Because that shows he is equal with God. Now, here's what I love. That means God came down in human flesh and took my penalty. And I can have a relationship with his God. That's where I can, that's where I can whistle. Life is good. Why? Because God loves me. He, he didn't love me so much that he goes, oh, man, listen, they're a bunch of sinners. Oh, gosh. Um, uh, well, I can't sacrifice Gabriel. He's not God, huh? Well, maybe if I create a smaller God, then I'll just, you know, I'll just make them happy. And then he said, I'll go down. And when you and I are broken and hurting and lonely, Jesus knows. That's the whole point. You can run to him and go, God, I'm scared. God, I don't understand what tomorrow's going to bring. And he goes, I know. I know how you feel. Why? Because he was fully God. Can I get an amen? amen? And he was fully man. So he understands us. What a beautiful picture. Only God can pull this off. Right? And then he says, now listen. Not only does Jesus have the power of life and death, but he also has the authority to judge everyone in the world. Acts 10, 42, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Who can judge, it says, who can judge except for God? So again, what's he doing? He's lovingly, hopefully bringing the Jewish authorities go, man, you don't understand. I've been, I'm here. I'm here. And of course, verse 23, he just gives us another example, Right? Verse 23 gives us another example of how the son is equal to the father. You go, well, Ben, what is this? How does this passage, what does this passage mean? You know, what is, how, how do I apply this? Well, that's when, 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 at the end of the service, when I say, hey, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? That's because he is fully God. He is equal with God. And that's where life comes from. That's where life comes from. 
So he's going on with life and judgment are the sons. The second thing is we can know that he's equal to God. Look at verse 24. Here's what I love about verse 24. You need to underline this, guys. This is just, this is just the gospel message. You've got to grab that. This is, listen, if you were at a football game, you, you know how they show the camera? And they used to have, I don't see it much more. They used to have John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. But this would be another one. This would, this would be another one that you could put on TV when you go to the football game. You go, what is it? It's John 5.24. Notice what he says. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. That's the gospel message, guys. That's the, this, is what, this, is what, this is what you can rest in tonight. If you hear his word and you believe in God the Father sent Jesus, he says, you'll have everlasting life. And he says, and you won't come into judgment. You won't come into judgment. He said, but you'll pass from death to life. Well, pastor, I don't know what that means. He's talking spiritually because we are all born dead. And that's why we need to be born again. Spiritually speaking. And when you're, and, and, and now, now listen, let me just say this real quick, okay? I have just about a, a couple of minutes to say this. We need to be careful, guys, and I will always tell you this. When I give an invitation to come forward and, and be part of the family of God, I will always say words alone aren't, aren't sufficient to save. There's a lot of people, I mean, we have done that. God, please forgive me. I'm sorry. My life is a mess. And we're all over here and there's not everywhere and life is just a mess. You know what I'm talking about? And so we'll give our lives to the Lord based on emotion, but words alone aren't sufficient to save. Then all of a sudden things get better and we're back doing the things that are not pleasing to God. So when we come in and we, and we sit there and we give our hearts to the Lord, then you'll see a change in your life. you'll see a definite change. Pastor, does that mean I'm perfect? Oh gosh, far from it. It takes the rest of our lives to progressively be sanctified until we die. And I just so get frustrated in my own life and I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I should be, I should be walking closer to you. I'm still making some of the dumb mistakes I make. Please forgive me, Lord. And he goes, I love you. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Verse 24 is a great verse to underline. If you're not afraid to underline it in your neighbor's Bible, that's a good place right there. Just say, give me your Bible. Let me just underline it right there because you're going to need this, buddy. Verse 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus is still speaking. The hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of God. Now, remember, there are times in church services when the pastor will give just this amazing message and you'll have people who you know, they're not saved, they're not born again. They'll just kind of, that was nice. And they'll walk out the door and you go, did you get him? Did you hear what that was for you? And you're frustrated. And it's like, because it's the Spirit, guys, it's the Holy Spirit who are able to hear his voice. And, and I want you to think back for just a moment. Think about when you first got saved. You heard his voice. I'm not saved. I'm not saved. That's Jesus. He's talking to me. And, and, and you knew it, right? It was the Holy Spirit that started knocking on your heart ever so gently. It was beautiful. 
And he says, listen, there's coming a day, right? Those who will hear and they'll live. But now he changes it to, look at verse 28. Do not marvel at this, guys, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves shall hear his voice. So he changed it. Now he's saying, right? Now he's saying physically. And they're going to come forth. Those who have done good, right, to the resurrection and life. Now it says done good. doesn't mean good works. It means those who are found in Christ to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of the condemnation. There's going to be, there's going to be, quote unquote, it looks like two resurrections. It's simply one resurrection. Just depends on where you're going to go. What's your destination? What's your destination? Well, I didn't do evil. No, no, no. It's not about, I mean, think about it, guys. It's about not putting your faith and trust in Jesus. He says, the day's coming. He says, don't marvel. The day's coming when God is going to come with a voice, and he's going to say, boom, and the dead in Christ is going to rise first. This is where Paul, get, Paul goes, oh, yeah, the dead in Christ is going to rise first, and we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And then a day is coming when, when you'll either be in the great white throne judgment, nobody wants to go there, or you're going to be at the Bema seat, and that's going to be like an awards assembly. That's going to be just Cool. It's going to be a great banquet. Verse 30, I can do nothing of myself, he says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. For I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Okay? So let me just go over a few points, and then we'll move on, because we've got, we've got a few more verses to cover. So Jesus, again, what's he doing, church? He's showing his equality with God in several areas. You go, what's that? If you're taking note, number one, he does, he does the actions of God. He follows what God is doing, and he, that's how he shows that he's equal. Number two, he knows the mind in the secret counsel of God, and he's equal with God. He has power over death and life. We know that he judges, and he's the only one worth to judge is God. And number five, he deserves equal honor with God. Real quick, real quick, guys. Why do you think, why do you think so many people are against Jesus? Why do you think it's like, listen, listen, you can pray, just don't pray in Jesus' name. Why are they so opposed to Jesus? Because he's God. But if we use the general term God... God could be anything, and you can make anything a God, and so you can pray, God, and to you, it might, to, to the people in the crowd, it might be, well, God is me, or God is my house, or God is my therapist, whatever it might be. But when you start focusing on Jesus, you're going, he's equal with God, and they don't like it. They don't like it. Here's the point, guys. Here's the point, okay? Here's... Here's what we need to grasp. The knowledge of God, guys, is not just empty knowledge. Learning about Jesus isn't so that we can have a file in our mind all about Jesus' qualities. Rather, each thing we learn about Jesus should motivate us to act in a certain way. You go, what way is that? First and foremost, it should be salvation. You go, Pastor, I'm saved. Amen. Then we should walk in righteousness and love and peace. And that we should love people. Guys, you know our core values at Calvary, right? Love God. Love people. Live radically. They're really simple. Just love God. You go, okay, okay. So that knowing Jesus should motivate me to love God even more, should love people even more, and to live radically. To live radically. Well, that's not enough. 
the Jewish authorities are probably looking. They've probably got steam coming out of their ears. They're probably looking at each other. He understands their thoughts, but he says, now, let me just do this real quick. He says, let me, let me, let me give you some examples of who testifies that I'm equal with God, okay? Let me, let me do this, okay? And so Jesus is going to give a five-fold testimony, or he's going to give a five-fold testimony of who he is. Okay, so if you're taking note, the first thing he does is Jesus tells of the testimony beyond his own regarding himself. Okay, He'll, he's going to testify beyond his own regarding himself. Look at verse 31. He says, if I bear witness of myself, he says, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness of which he witnesses of me is true. He said, listen, I'm not just coming over here by myself. There are, you, you guys know this. Even in our day and age, there are plenty of people who stand up and go, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm Jesus. And they testify of themselves. And what they do is they gather followers to kind of agree with them. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Listen, he says, if I bear witness of me, he says, it's not true. There has to be somebody else who bears witness of me. And that's the father. It's like, whoa. Number two, he says, let me give you the testimony of John the Baptist, verse 33. He says, you sent John, and he was born a witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive a testimony from men, but I say these things that you might be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. He goes, do you remember what John did? He testified of me. That's all he did. And you guys were so excited. But what was his testimony? Did John ever testify of himself? Remember what Jesus, remember what John said? He said, I must decrease, he must increase. Even a couple of his disciples said, okay, dude, we're leaving you. We're going to follow Jesus. And he says, go, go. Because behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Number three, he's going to give the testimony of the works of Jesus. Verse 36, for I have greater witness that John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me, right? What was the purpose of the book, guys? So that what we would believe that Jesus is the Christ in believing we would have life in his name. He just said, listen, here's the testimony. I'm going to do these works so that what? So that you would believe that the Father sent me, that you would believe in me, in me. Let's just talk, let's just chat for just a moment, okay? There are times when I desperately want to see someone healed physically. And Jesus doesn't do it. He doesn't do it here on earth. But we got to remember, we got to remember, there are times when we pray, God, the purpose of you healing is because of your grace and love and mercy, but it's also because, because people seem to know that you're God. People need to know who you are. And then there are times when Jesus heals and people marvel. But we live in such a world, guys, of, of oh, that was just circumstance or happenstance, and, and nobody walks away going, we need to follow Jesus all the more. And so Jesus says, listen, you're going to see greater works. And throughout the Bible, like, like, like next week, guys, we're going to see the feeding of the 5,000. And that's a bona fide miracle, okay? 
And this was 5,000 men. Can you imagine with, the, with their wives and kids? I mean, there was a lot of people. But the purpose wasn't so that they could get a free meal. The purpose wasn't that they got a, you know, a, a, a fish and, 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 and some bread. The purpose was so they would go, that's the Messiah. That's the Messiah. That's the, that's the anointed one. That's Jesus. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. And he says, number four, moving on, he says, I'm gonna, I, I want to give you the testimony of the Father. Look at verse 37. The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent. Him you do not receive. He's going, guys, you, don't, you need to understand. He goes, listen, you haven't heard his voice because you haven't received me. You haven't received me. He says, the, t- the Father is testifying of me. And number five, he's going to give this, this fivefold. His testimony is the scriptures. Look at verse 39. He's telling these guys, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And all they do, notice, and these are they that testify of me. He goes, that, Micah 5, 2. Psalm, I mean, we could go back. He says, you guys, you think you have eternal life searching the scriptures. They point to me. Objects in the mirror are closer than they be. I'm, I'm here. Huh? Where's Jesus? I think the Messiah's coming. I think. Yeah. I think. I don't know. But I know that guy. He's, that guy's messed up. Why? Because he made that guy break the law. He healed him on the Sabbath. Carrying the, he's going, guys, now listen. You guys are searching the scriptures. Now, good point. When you search the scriptures, you'll find Jesus. Right? Was it Lee Strobel who searched the scriptures to try to prove it wrong, ended up getting saved? Case for Christ. Right? So what should we do? Okay. So every one of us has, probably has a friend that we go, we're praying for and we want to see them saved. What should we do? Guys, let him study the word. They'll, they'll find Jesus in it. And that's why at Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse by verse. Because why? Because I got nothing. But God does. And his word will always minister to you. All right. So let's close. We're going to close with the remaining verses, okay? I know Joe didn't think I could get through 28 verses, but man, I'm almost there. Verse 40. But you, notice what he says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have eternal life. He's going, guys, but you're not coming to me. I'm inviting you into the party. You don't want to come in. You're standing with your arms crossed going, no, no, no. We want our religion better than we want a relationship with you. Could you imagine the God of the universe looking at you and goes, you're not willing to come to me that you'd have life. He says, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you have, you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my father's name. And he says, you didn't receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. How can you believe who received honor from another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is no one who accuses you. Moses in whom you trust. For if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me. Why is that, Jesus? Because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe in his writings, how are you going to believe in my words? 
I love the fact, guys, that Jesus goes to the heart of the issue. He goes to the heart of the issue, which is what? Eternal life and belief and faith. I was um, thinking about faith and belief as we come to a close in our study. I was thinking about this, and, and, and if, we're, if we're being honest in church, I, I get it. There are times when we really have a hard time with faith in God. And I was sitting on the airplane. We were about to take off. And I was thinking about faith, and I was thinking, God, there are people in his heart because, Father, we just, I mean, we don't, we don't see you. And he knocks on my heart, and he says, do you have faith that this piece of tin you're sitting in is going to go up in the air and get you to Texas? And it, I was like, I do. I didn't question it. How is that how is that even possible? You get in, you pay a ticket, you sit in a seat, you buckle your seatbelt, which probably won't save you anyway, but you buckle them in anyway, and you believe that this thing is going to go fast enough and high enough that two hours later you're going to land in a different place of the country. And yet when it comes to faith in Jesus, we doubt and we question. We wrestle. The Lord knocked on my heart this morning. He said, you have faith that this car that you're driving is going to get you to church this morning. You have faith that those chairs, we're going we're to hold you. You didn't once question, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm doubting. Is it going to hold me? You just came in and sat down. Pastor, your point, it's all about perspective, guys. It's all about perspective. It's about your faith in Jesus because he's God. He's God. And here's what I'm thinking. The Pharisees missed it, man. The Pharisees. Jesus was closer, but the what? The convexity of the mirror made them think, where is he? I wonder if the convexity of our lives we miss Jesus at times. And he's right there. And I'm thinking all we need to do is open up our hearts and, and let him come in. You go, well, like what? Well, number one, guys, if you're a believer here and maybe you're, you're here and you, you're, you're a follower of Jesus, but you need healing, you need a healing that only the Lord can bring. Maybe you're like the woman at the well and and, and it hurts. And Jesus touches the very thing, and it hurts so much, but he's the only one who can touch it and heal it at the same time. Maybe you're here, and, and, and you realize he's, he's close. I, I can allow him to do that. But ben, it, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt for a moment, but then it's going to bring supernatural healing. Emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever you need, God is here. And I know if you're not a believer, I'm pretty sure everybody in this room is, but if you're not a believer, but you need Jesus to come and forgive you of your sins and save you, to come into your life and give you his word, 
you need to realize that he's closer than we all know. Don't let the convexity of our lives think Jesus is, yep, Jesus is, Jesus is, yep, yep, nope, I got him, I, yep. Perspective, he's closer than we know. And he's close to coming back before we know. So what should we do? What should we do, Pastor? Love God. Love people. Okay, who, who's the judge, us or Jesus? All right, so we need to love people back to life. And the third thing is we need to live radically. We just got a, we just got a few minutes left in this life, guys. We should live radically. You know, what does that mean? For some of us, it means just prayer, praying for people. For some of us, it means mission fields. For some of us, it means whatever God is calling you to do, live radically. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and the truth in your word. And we thank you, God, that we could cover 28 verses. And we look forward to what you have for us next week. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we look forward to Ezra, God, on Wednesday as you're speaking to us in Ezra. Thank you, God, that we can draw close to you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.